Well, um, if you are in sixth grade, I'm not going to ask you to stand up because I don't like to embarrass you, unlike Aaron Cotton. But nonetheless, we are glad that you're here. Um, here's the deal, right? Is um, this is a, this is a new world for you sixth graders? Is that now comes the point where we've trained you, and we're going to continue to train you. Um, you want to know why you're in here? It's because um, statistics tell you and tell us that eventually, when you get out of high school, uh, most of you will disown church and walk away from God altogether. And, and part of the reason that you can deduce from that is that you get fed an experience that you can't sustain in adulthood. And so we want to train you to listen and to do Christian things like adults do. And so that's why you're here. Whether you're 11 or 10 or 12 or 13 or however it is, or 30 or 40 or 80, that's why you're in here is to be trained into Christian living. And so it's not just coming and listening and uh, sitting and listening, although that's part of it. We're going to expect you to come and listen and take notes and have fun. And you can say amen, or you can say ouch, or you can talk back to me, except for my own daughter. You can't talk back to me. Uh, I'm just kidding. You definitely can talk back to me. It's fine. Um, but you can, you can interact. Like, that's what we do in here is that we're interacting with God's word. And so when, when we hand you a book that was just handed to y'all, um, that's just not any other book that just sits on a bookshelf collecting dust. These are the words of God. And it is the word of God. If you wanted to know what God was all about, wouldn't you want him to write it down for all of eternity so that we could know? And yet he's done that. And so my prayer is that you would be fully formed into Christ through the reading of God's word, through the gathering with God's people, uh, through the prayer of the saints. These are the things that we do in our gathering. So we're glad that you're here. And yet we also know that it's going to be a little bit of training. So parents, like, like, let's do our best to make sure that they feel welcome. Let's do our best to make sure that we answer questions as we can. If you don't know the answer, I don't know is a great answer. Um, and so that's what we're all about. We want you to do that. There will also be times where you go and serve. So sixth graders, be prepared to go serve in the pre-K, in the nursery, in the kindergartners, all that kinds of thing. Because that, again, is also a part of Christian living. So now that I've said all that, uh, if you're a guest here, if you, even if you're not, if you have... Uh, been coming here for a long time. We are in a series now, this is week number three, on Christ and controversy. This is week number three, week number two. I don't know, I've lost all hope of timeliness. That's three, okay. Somebody said two, none of us said three. You guys have lost, lost all track too. Perfect. Nonetheless, um, so last week, it's three. Last week, um, we knew that you wouldn't be in here for the last time, and so we covered the topic of hell. And so if you want to understand what the Bible says about hell, you can go online and you can listen to that. Today, we're going to cover a topic that there's a lot of hope in, but a lot of misunderstanding in, and with Christ and controversy, and that is predestination. So a lot of the questions that I get about predestination are, the first one is usually this, do you believe in predestination? And it's like saying, do you believe in the Bible? Because it's all over the scripture. And so we must, as Christians, believe in some sort of what predestination means. So my question usually is, yes, it's in the Bible. We have to wrestle with it. The question is, what do we believe about predestination? And I don't know about you, but this is one of the most divisive uh, topics in all of church history, not just probably in your experience, because if you've brought something like this up, you've probably been met with a various, uh, you know, all kinds of opinions and attitudes towards it. I remember when I first heard about predestination, I was in the middle, or I was in the front, I was in the parking lot, the passenger seat of a car, um, and my, my buddy at the time, Bob, brought it up. And we were in the front of Barnes & Noble in Memorial City. I don't even know if that's still there, but that's where we were. That was a long time ago. I remember him bringing it up and saying, hey, you know, you didn't do this, right? And I was like, I want to fight. I want to fight you because he brought it up. It's one of those things 
Then when you start thinking about election, when you start thinking about free will, when you start thinking about predestination and God's sovereignty, these are all big words. We're going to define them all in just a moment. When we start thinking about this, it offends the sensibilities if we think we did something to earn our acceptance with the Lord. And so this is not just a, a topic about what you think about something like predestination. This is a topic about how we believe to be, that we became accepted before the Lord. So it's a huge deal. Churches have split on this. We don't want to do that, right? We want to be unified underneath God's banner of love. It's just a matter of like, how do we define that? And what does that look like? And, and how do we tackle tough subjects such as predestination? And election. So I don't want to be divisive. We want to be unified about, around God's mysterious love for his people. And you might think to yourself, what's so mysterious about God's love? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, like, it doesn't make sense. When you start thinking about God's love for sinners, none of it makes sense. So it's mysterious. So it's the mystery of his will being revealed. Why, why is it mysterious? Because most things that are logical have a cause and an effect. And there's nothing that we did to cause God's love except sin. And when you start thinking about the depth of our own sin, and then we start seeing God's, what we think to be God's reaction to that sin, um, man, it, it doesn't make sense. Like God loves sinners. He doesn't love, like that's what it says, like he does love righteous people, but he came for sinners to seek and save the lost. That's what he came to do. He, he came and died for sinners. And that does not make a whole lot of sense when you start thinking about it deeply. Now, the emails that I got about predestination weren't necessarily about do you believe in it, but man, how do we deal with what we see in the scriptures? Um, and just like last week, the real bottom line here, and this is where we'll end, the bottom line here in regards to God's word is how deeply will we trust it? How deeply will we trust what God says to be what God says? Or will we do some sort of gymnastics to make it mean something that we're more comfortable with? That will always be um, at the forefront of your life. Whether you're in sixth grade or 60, do I trust what God says or do I trust more of what I can see? It will always be a wrestling, y'all. Always. That's why we have to continue to hide God's word in our hearts. That's why we have to continue to put before us the truth of the scriptures so that we can remember again and again the good news that the gospel of God loves sinners. So these are the questions that I got, right? How does predestination work? I'm going to answer that one real quickly. I don't know. All right, moving on. Now that we're all satisfied with that. How can God choose some for salvation at the same time desire all people to be saved? That's a good one. Maybe we'll answer that along the way. If I don't, I apologize, but we'll try to. How does our free will work within God's predetermined will? That's a good one. Also, I don't know. And finally, how do we make sense of predestination, not from a few select passages, but from Genesis to Revelation? Okay, so I'm going to start with that one, really, because I think that's where we can make most sense of all of these questions. If we just start looking at big picture, how did this whole thing work? But before we get there... As I was talking to my two daughters, they asked me, so what are we talking about this Sunday um, in the gathering? And I said, predestination. And they said, what's that? Great question. We'll start there. We can thank my sixth and eighth graders for helping us all get on the same page as to what some really good terms mean in the Bible. So what does predestination mean? What does election mean? Um, ultimately, they mean this. So the first thing I want you to hear is that election, election and predestination go together. You can't have one without the other. And when we think about like the difficulty of 
predestination, really the difficulty is about election, that God chooses some people to be saved. That's really the difficulty that we have. Okay, so I want to speak compassionately, but also with a whole lot of security, knowing, thank God that God chooses some to be saved. Now, the harsh and difficult reality to that is that there's also some that are not going to be saved. So if you read through Romans 9, which we'll read a little bit about that, that, like, he hardens hearts and he shows mercy. So again, will we trust God in this process that in all wisdom and all knowledge, he knows exactly what he's up to? So the first thing is this, election, God, that is God's sovereign choice to select some for salvation unto himself. And you might think to yourself, well, where did you get that from? Here's what I know. If you are new to reading the Bible, if you are new to the understanding of election and predestination, you need to see it in God's word yourself. So maybe you turn there on the next three passages or not. I don't know, but they will come on the screen. Make note of them, y'all. Put them in the journal that we have for you or put them in the notes app on your phone, whether you're sixth grade or 60 again. Like, make note of these because these are real. I want you to see this is in God's word. It's not in my head. These are the red letters of, of John 15, verse 16. That would be Jesus speaking. And what does he say? You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to bear fruit. Is that behind me? That's Jesus. That's Jesus saying to his disciples, his his favorite 12 while he was on the earth, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Okay, very distinct, very clear there. In Acts 13, verse 48. Again, I'm trying not to select passages, but I need you to just see this is God's electing people, and they are in specific passages. I'd love to read more, but we don't have time. And when the Gentiles heard this, 1348 of of, of Acts, again, type it in, write it in, make sure you go read the context. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Very clear that Luke the good doctor, the journalist, is trying to make sure that we see as many as appointed. He didn't have to put that in there, but he put that in there for our encouragement. If not for John, if not for Acts, there's also John 6, 64 and 65, actually. And I want to read 64 and 65. I told him 65. Pull up 64 too, please. Um, Because I think it's interesting that God would say this. Jesus, again, read letters, talking about himself. And he says this in John chapter 6, 64 and 65. 64, but there are some of you, he says, who do not believe. And then there's a parenthetical thought. For Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Okay, so you have Jesus selecting, you have an appointment And then you have a permissive will that says you cannot come to Jesus unless the Father, the Father's now working, to bring you to Jesus. Okay? So these are all just like not manipulated, just reading to you what the scriptures say about a very difficult concept about election. Now we got to move on to predestination. Because election is God's choosing you. Predestination is the win of the choice. And just like the word says, it's predestiny, predetermined. So when did that happen, you may ask? Well, Romans 9 says this. Romans 9, verses 10 through 13, again in God's word, 
it says this. Now, talking about Jacob and Esau, these are two characters in the Old Testament, um, about one is chosen and one is not. Okay, so you got to know this. This is what they're they're twins. Okay, they they come at the same time, coming from one man. Like there's nothing distinct about them except what God has said about them. And so it says this in Romans 9. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Now you remember that Isaac uh, had a brother, right? You remember Isaac had a brother? Anybody remember Isaac's brother's name? Isaac, not Jacob, Isaac, Ishmael. So we're not talking about another brother. We're talking about Isaac. So already there's some selection going on here between who God is favoring and who God is not. So now we have Isaac, right? Our one forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, that's Jacob and Esau, or they had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might stand or continue, not because of works, remember it's not of works, but because of him who calls, that would be God, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So what is the big point in Romans 9? The big point in Romans 9 is when did this predestination happen? When did this election happen? Before they were born, before they had done anything bad or good. What does that mean? You can't say, well, I mean, Esau's an idiot. I mean, he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. No, no. That's why he lost his birthright. No, no. God is very clear. Before they had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose of election, not in what we might think, in order that God's purpose of election might stand. For all of you that have sixth graders in here, I just used a word. I apologize. But uh, I'm sure that it's going to be part of uh, of this new uh, reality, right? Um, so here we are. And if you didn't catch it, good for you. Um, you probably use it a lot at home then. All right, here we go. God has a plan, right? That's the reality. God has a plan and it is inevitable. It is inevitable. I'm going to use that word in a moment uh, in a different context. So look, um, this is the reality is that God, what is predestination? That's what it is. And you might ask, when did it happen? Well, Romans 9 would say before they were good or evil. But Ephesians 1 says he doubles down on the when. So not just what is predestination. When did God predestine? Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 then. Some of us are being threatened now by this idea that God has elected people before they were good, before they were bad. But Paul, the letter of, the letter of Ephesians was written by Paul, and he says this is a matter of blessing be to God. Like praise be to God for this reason. Well, what reason is that, Paul? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Even as he chose, he elected us in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world. So I don't know how how old you think the earth is. Whether you think it's 6,000 years old or 6 billion years old, it was before that. Before that is when God knew all people for all time, in all circumstances, and that's when he elected. That's when he predetermined all the world. Now, some of us are going to go, I don't like that. And let's just unpack that a little bit. Why do we not like that? 
Um, because we think to ourselves, well, what about free will? And that's really the third question. There are like five, four or five questions and then a, a couple of endings thing, right? This is number three, right? So like what is predestination? Well, God's predetermined choice, his election of you. When is predestination happening? Before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4 would clearly say. That's when it would happen. If you start thinking about that, your mind is going to start bending and blowing. Because before Genesis 1, there was Father, Son, and Spirit who knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew when it was going to happen. He knew how it was going to happen. He knew what our names were. He knew how human history would unfold at the right time, exactly the right time, and exactly the right family, and exactly the right circumstances to produce you. And so you might not like all parts of your story, but God is forming you, writing a story in you. That's more than our comfort. But now it's that we get to see the Christ. So would you see the Christ if all that stuff didn't happen? Maybe. Maybe not. What we do know is that God sovereignly authored all that stuff so that you would be here, so that you would be listening. So that you could see how good, how good our God is, no matter what circumstances that we're in. So we, we find great hope in the fact that God is the author of all things. Though it, it does tend to start to ruffle some feathers in regards to, well, what about free will? Again, that's question number three. So I'll, I'll tackle that a little bit, right? So how do we do that and how do we deal with free will? Now, I'll say this. Like, we have a problem with predestination. We have, a, we have a problem with fate. We have a problem with inevitabilities a lot of the times because of the narrative that we're in in our culture. And you might think to yourself, well, what do you mean? Think about the Avengers movies. Okay, um, everybody's seen Avengers movies. If you haven't, like, God be with you. I don't know what you do. What did you do all of 2020 uh, without Disney Plus? Um, so, like, you've seen these Avengers movies, right? And what is it? Like, Thanos knows the fate, the predetermined outcome of the world, that he knows what's going to happen, and so he's going to snap his fingers, and 50% of everybody's going to die. And the Avengers, the heroes, come in, and they're trying to change that predetermined fate. So we go, oh, well, I hate that fate. I hate that predestiny. So, ooh, I'm rooting for the heroes to come in. And if you think to yourself, okay, well, that was just one movie. No, no, let me go more. Loki, who's a series. If you've watched Loki, there's a time, uh, there's a time thing. And if you get off of, oh, if you, I already saw somebody go, don't tell me, don't tell me. I haven't watched, I haven't watched. I'm sorry. There's a, there's a thing called a, a, a timeline, right? And there's these timekeepers, and they're trying to keep everybody in their own line, and Loki's a, he, he is, what is it, what are they, he's a variant, right? He's a variant. So he's off the line, and they're sort of constantly trying to keep him on the line that he's supposed to be on. And so you start rooting for Loki, who's a villain. So you start rooting for Loki against the greater villain. If you think to yourself, well, that's just Avengers. No, no, my friends. Um, you remember Matrix? Remember the Matrix? And, and Agent Smith has got Neo in a headlock, and the subway is coming, and what does he tell Neo? Do you hear that? Mr. Anderson, that is the sound of inevitability. You know it, right? I, not that I've seen The Matrix 300 times, but you know that moment, right? You know that if you are under 30, I do apologize. And if you're over 30, welcome. You're, I, we are so glad you're here. Right? That is a beautiful moment. And then Neo just breaks free, right? It's Neo that's the hero breaking away from this sovereign, fatalistic view uh, of the end. And so I think now we have to go, okay, well, is God's sovereign will fatalistic? No. 
No, it is in the hands of a wise, good king. And if you think, well, that's just a few movies. No, no, remember Aladdin? Like, what was it? it was J- Jasmine was destined to marry Jafar, right? Until Aladdin showed her the world. And then, and then things changed. That's what happened. So it's all over the place. Young and old, it's all over the place that there is this hero breaking free from a predetermined plan. So the narrative in our culture is this predetermined understanding is, is dangerous, it's limiting, and it's difficult for us to understand. So we have to use our free will to break it. Okay, well, let's just start thinking about that a little bit. Biblically, not culturally. Now, let's go back to that question. How do we make sense of this Genesis to Revelation? Let's try and do that. Now, the good news is this. God created Adam and Eve with a free will. We see that in Genesis 2, verse 16, where he says, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. But don't do that one. There's a freedom there. Genesis 2, 16, God says you are free. Okay, so that was given to humanity. The bad news is we gave it up pretty quickly. So we were given it as a good and gracious thing by God, but then we gave it right back to Satan, ultimately. And so Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, which will come up on the screen, I pray. Romans 6, 17 and 18 say this about our free will. This is what it says about our will now. Now that we are on this side of the fall, on this side of the garden, we have a, we have a human nature that is enslaved to sin. So Romans 6, 17 and 18, we'll say this. I'm going to read it from the screen. What does it say? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves, we were once slaves apart from Christ, have now become obedient from the heart. Go ahead to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. It goes on, right? And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We were slaves to sin apart from Christ. Now that we're in Christ, we're a slave to righteousness. Now I want you to see the language Paul is using. He's using language here of slave and master. That you were a slave to your master of sin. That's all you could do. You were owned by sin. But Jesus came and he gave you the redemption of his, uh, in his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And he transferred you, Romans 6 would say, or out of Colossians 1 would say, out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of his wonderful son to where now we're not enslaved to our old master of sin anymore. Now we're enslaved to righteousness and to Christ. And he is our Lord. It's another word for master. He is our king. So he's transferred us from one to the next. But before we were believers, we had only one side of that. Slaves to sin. Ephesians 2, 1 says that you were dead in your transgressions. What can you do as a dead person? Nada. You have no will. Ephesians 2, 1 would say that. That you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead. Separated. Can't do anything while in the grave. Okay, so this is how I've reconciled this over the many years of study. And I can tell you, I'm telling you right now, I wanted to fight when I first heard this stuff. So if you're having that reaction, I think it's probably natural. But let us come underneath the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus who wrote all these things down for us. Um, Here's how I kind of uh, reconciled this. We have, the only person that has a free will is God at this point in, in history. 
We have a free exercise of a limited will. You might want to write that down. We have a free exercise of a limited will. And you say, what do you mean? We have a nature as humans that we can only do human things. Dogs can only do dog things. They can't climb a tree like a cat, although if you've probably seen one on, on YouTube somewhere that's going to prove me wrong. Okay? But they, it's not by their nature. It's not what they do. Dogs do dog things. Birds, they do bird things. They fly. And you might think, well, what about penguins? Okay, man, yeah, there's always an exception. Right? Fish do fish things. They, they, they swim. You're like, what about the flying fish? Yeah, yeah, again, exceptions. But they swim underwater. They have gills. We can't do that. Why, don't, why can't we go and swim with whales or with whatever fish we want to go swim with? Because we don't have the capacity because we're, we're limited by humans. I could get on top of Frost Elementary and choose to jump off and fly, and I would probably get severely injured or worse. Why can't I just choose to do that? Because I don't have the freedom to do that. I'm limited based on my nature. So are we limited spiritually by our nature because it's sinful. It's the flesh. It's dead. Paul says, a slave to sin. See, that's what makes the good news the good news is that that's all true. But God didn't leave us in that state forever. He intervened on our behalf. He came for sinners. And again, he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his wonderful son. So now, as believers, we have a new will. We have a new desire. We can obey. We want to obey. These all happen now as a result of being set free from the dominion of darkness. Is this, is this making sense? Okay, so... We were once very, very much more limited without Jesus. If you have friends, family members that are not believers, they're trapped. They're enslaved. The Bible says that the enemy has covered their eyes to the truth. So we need someone else to intervene. We can't do it. We need someone else to take the blinders off. We need someone else to provide, to provide hearing. Don't you see the beauty in Jesus' ministry wasn't just about miracles. It was about showing us what he's going to do to our family and our friends. Showing us what he did in our hearts when he set people free. When he gave them sight. When he gave them hearing. You see, that was it all, what it was all about. Can he still do those things today? Miraculously? Physically? Absolutely. We pray for those things. But it was more of a picture to show us what he is capable of doing for our hearts. What he's capable of doing with our neighbors with those that we love in our workplace, softball or wherever else. He's capable of these things, so we cry out. Because we know he's done it with us, we know he'll do it again. That's what he says he'll do. See, that's the beauty of, yes, okay, now that my, 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 my will is limited, biblically, but God set me free by the power of the Spirit. He put a new spirit in me to now want to obey and gave me the power to obey. That's why the good news is so beautiful. It leaves us then... With this, if you think about this, like, um, it leaves us with this idea of free will that's a little bit different than maybe what our culture is telling us. Free exercise of a limited will. And there's a lot of beauty in that. Because guess who's in charge if we're not? Yeah, God. King. The king of kings. Once above every ruler and authority, including what we would want. So oftentimes people ask me, like, man, it just sounds really fatalistic and difficult. Like, I don't know what to do with that. And I go, you know... Here's what I know. By God's sovereign will, I was born in Houston, Texas. Amen and praise God. 
no, you all are not from Houston, apparently. Uh, only Houstonians can say amen and praise God to that uh, because it is Houston after all. But nonetheless, I was born here, right? I wasn't born in Canada by God's sovereign choice. So I may have wanted to be the greatest hockey player on the planet, but I was born in Texas. And we don't play hockey here. But I want to be a hockey player. Jesus, it's in my heart. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't choose that for you. I chose you to be in Texas. Okay, well, I'll be a baseball player. Okay, I want to be a baseball player. Lord Jesus, help me be a baseball player. Yeah, yeah, but I'm only going to give you enough skill set to do it just a little bit. <laughs> and thank God he did. Oh, but I could have made millions. But thank God he knew my heart better than I did it would have been my God. It would have been my idol. And we wouldn't be here. Y'all wouldn't be here. I'd be listening to somebody else, laughing more probably. But nonetheless, that's that, like praise God that he didn't have that for me, though it caused much difficulty, though it caused much disappointment, especially in college. I didn't go to an a and baseball game for like the first three years I was there because I just couldn't watch it anymore because I wasn't involved. Self-centered? Never. <laughs> you see how this all works? This isn't about getting what we want. This is about God getting what he wants. And what does he want? Sinners to come and savor the Savior. Sinners to come and, and, and worship the King. And so he'll do whatever's necessary to get his kids at the table. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. So then I think this leads us to this. I, I wish I could say I'm almost done. I'm going to get there. Why then does he save some and not others? All right, let me break this down kind of simply. On what merit does God save anyone? By grace, not by works. I'll skip a lot. That's the first question that I would have to answer. Like, why does he save some and not others? The second question is that it comes down to this. How sovereign do we believe God to be? How wise, how sovereign, how powerful does he know all things from beginning to end or just a few? How sovereign do we believe our God to be? And when we ask that question, I think we have to go down to Romans 9. And I'm going to read this, and then we'll almost be done. <laughs> Romans 9, verses 19 and 20. When we ask, why, O oh Lord, are you doing this? Are you holding me accountable for things that I'm not accountable for? No, no, he's going to hold us accountable. But he says this. In Romans 9, 19, you will say to me then, he, he follows this great logic in Romans 9, go read it. Why does he still find fault with me? If I mean, he's the one choosing everyone. If he's predetermining everything, why is he blaming people? Why is he going to send people to hell? For who can resist his will? But verse 20, y'all friends, this is a great, this is a good news right here. Listen to this as, as, a, as an instructive father is now telling you, but who are you, oh man? To answer back to God. Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Why is, that such, why is there such beauty in that? Because it's written down for us. But he truly wants us to trust him. I made you this way. I gave you this story. I put you in Texas, not in Canada. I don't care. This is my story being unfolded in you. And it's beautiful, way more beautiful than you ever could imagine. So who will we trust? 
Who will we trust? Ourselves or our Father, our Maker, our, the potter? And will we acknowledge then that we're the clay, that there are some things in this life, that there's just a limited will here on what we can or cannot do? And, and praise God for that reality. Finally, there's a few fruit that I think we can, uh, that will, this will bear really in life. We start thinking about predestination. We start thinking about election. There's a, f- a, f- a few fruit, easy for me to say, that I'm just going to rapid fire run, run through because I think they answer some of the questions that are inherent uh, in this difficult topic. Fruit number one, like what do we do with prayer if God knows everything? What if God wasn't about you getting stuff? I mean, what if prayer wasn't about getting stuff? What if prayer was relational at its core and that you were just with your dad and he just was trying to explain some things to you through his word and through his spirit and just, I know you don't understand. I know you don't understand. That's why I'm here. You come. Come and listen. Come and hear. Yes, I still want you to ask for things. Yes, I still want you to ask greatly for things. It says right there, and it, like the rest of John 15, 16 is, so ask whatever it is in my name, and my Father will give it to you. He still wants us to ask for things. But what if it was more about relationships than getting what we want? Fruit number two, our obedience then. What do we do then? Are we, or God still hold us accountable for obedience? Yes, he still wants us to be obedient to him. But not because, just because he said so, but because you want to. Because you see the great love with which he lavished on us. He lavished this great love. So obedience then is rooted in love, not in duty. It's now desire. Fruit number three, right? The fuel for life then is gratitude. Oh my gosh, you've done all this? You mean to tell me before the foundation of the world you had Lance Williams picked out? I can remember all the times on the playground when I wasn't picked. I can remember all the times when I've been rejected. I can remember all the, all the pain and all the suffering that it means to be rejected and pushed out. And you had me in mind? Are you kidding? That's beautiful. So it's now it's gratitude. I don't have to earn stuff with him. I got to do all the right things. But beforehand, he had me. He had you if you believe. And if you're in this room, I still think he's got you just calling you in, even if you don't believe yet. Fruit four, evangelism. This is now the other thing. Well, if God chose everybody, why are you out there sharing the gospel? Because he said to. And because he said to, I want to. Because of all the things that he has said to do and all the things that he's done for me. So evangelism or sharing your faith isn't about now trying to convince someone of the truth. Now it's just invitational. And we'll see what God's up to in that person's heart. It may not be their time today, but I'm going to plead with them like it is. I remember time, many a time I've been at Starbucks sharing the gospel with strangers, and I mean, like, I think I am just killing it with this gospel presentation, and they just look at me and they go, cool. I'm like, that wasn't it? Like, that, I gave you everything I got right there. No, no, because it's not up to me. Praise God. It's up to the Lord and the Holy Spirit and his timing whenever he wants to do it. But I'll be faithful so I can walk away and go, well, what did I do? I mean, I got all the things I had down here, right? It's not about that. The Lord may draw them in his timing. Fifth and final fruit. When God is sovereign, and I mean really big, really big God, over and above everything, you know what it produces in you? Rest. All the what ifs are under his gentle care. Well, what if I could have done this? 
And what if that could have happened? And if I could have just, and if you would have, and if, ah. But under God's sovereign plan, it didn't. It went the way he wanted it. And so I can trust in his good care for me as a father that he's indeed doing just that. Caring. Drawing me close. Bringing me near. Inviting me to see something I never would have seen if not having gone through what I've just gone through. There's rest at the end of this. It's difficult. This is not the end of a conversation. This is the beginning. So I pray that you go to lunch. I pray that you go home. I pray that we have like deeper conversations about these scriptures, wherever you may be and wherever you go. But for now, let's end our time. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. This is a big, deep subject about a big, deep God. Thank you for helping us see the way. Thank you for putting down in your scriptures that you're in control of all things. And it's complex and it's nuanced and we understand that. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just put in our hearts a deeper trust for a God who wants all people to be saved and yet knows not all will. Thank you for writing those things down. Thank you for doing everything possible for all of us to hear you, to see you, to understand that this world is not enough, that our abilities are not enough, but you are. You're sufficient. And you've done all things necessary for us to believe, including not just sending your son, but before all that was even understood, you had us in mind. We're grateful. Help us believe, Lord. Help us act like we believe. Help us live like we believe. Help us celebrate like we believe. Even in our unbelief, fill the gaps, Holy Spirit. Fill the gaps of belief with your love and care. And draw us near in Jesus' name. Amen.